Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast. Um, A couple of episodes ago, actually more than a couple now, let's see, episode 18, um, Jim gave us some very helpful insight into understanding some American-made faith faith systems, specifically Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. And I know that conversation was so helpful to so many of you. We've gotten really great feedback about these two faith systems that I think most of us knew at least a little bit about or had a little bit of familiarity about, but just didn't know much about the theology. So um, Jim enlightened us a little bit in terms of what they believed and um, how we can kind of navigate, um, yeah, some of those conversations. But because their response was so positive about that and it was so helpful, I wanted to have kind of a similar conversation about another American-based religion, but this time I want to talk about Scientology. Um, Scientology is so unique in so many ways, but um, particularly because we hear a lot about it in the news because of its straw of celebrities. And then just for so long, it just, I don't know, just kind of is enshrouded by mystery and secrecy um, a good bit. But as of late, there's been a lot in the news about Scientology, a lot of um, ex- Scientologists are kind of coming forward with their testimonies, and then you throw in um, Leah Remini's Netflix series on Scientology, and all of a sudden, we have a lot of questions about it. So, Jim, understandably, you are not an ex-Scientologist, so I understand that there's aspects of the faith system that you're not going to know all that much about, but I was actually kind of hoping that I could really lean into your expertise as, you know, a cultural observer. And maybe we could have this conversation, maybe through the lens of almost like a Christian anthropologist, that we could look at Scientology and learn more about what it suggests about human nature. You know, what kind of things we're looking for or longing for, what we're susceptible to. So I don't know. Is that, does that sound good? Are you game for that? We'll give it a try. Okay. All right. Well, let's start off. Um, we started off this way in the other podcast. I think this would be helpful today, too, of just talking about the history of Scientology, because, gosh, I don't think very, I, I think this is like a going to be a shocker to, to many who are listening. So can you walk us through how Scientology got started and by whom? Probably not as much of a shocker as when we get into what they believe. But yes, it was founded by a man by the name of L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, Hubbard was a science fiction writer in the 1930s and the 1940s. And, but then he wrote a book titled Dianetics. Subtitle was The Modern Science of Mental Health and started the religion of Scientology in Los Angeles in 1954. Hubbard's an interesting figure. Uh, beyond his science fiction writings and starting a new religion, he claimed to have visited heaven on two different occasions. According to the Church of Scientology, Hubbard was studying Shakespeare and Greek philosophy soon after he learned to read. Uh, By age six, they say he had become a blood brother of the Blackfoot Indians and had learned their tribal secrets and legends. They also maintain that he became the youngest Eagle Scout ever and by age 19 had traveled over a quarter of a million miles, including visits to China, Japan, Guam, the Philippines, absorbing the philosophies of the East. But that biography, as you would imagine, has been challenged, uh, including his scientific credentials. Uh, for example, while Scientology claims to be based on the insights of Hubbard into nuclear physics and higher mathematics, uh, he only attended college for two short years, and the second of which he was on academic probation and actually failed his coursework in physics. Uh, according to the Los Angeles Times, he also had an early relationship with the notorious Satanist Alistair Crowley who uh, served as Hubbard's mentor. He then lived on a 300-foot ship 
uh, named Apollo for the better part of each year, starting in 1965, along with a group of young Scientologists named the Sea Org, short for Sea Organization, um, who purposely waited for him, waited on him hand and foot, uh, everything from cooking his meals to doing his laundry. He then moved out to the edge of the Mojave Desert, where he lived in seclusion on a replica of a life-sized clipper ship uh, until his death in 1986. There's history. Okay. <laughs> okay. I I have a lot of follow-up questions to that, but okay, can we just take a step back for a second and think about the fact that, based on what you're telling us, that a science fiction writer was able to essentially package his ideas in the form of religion, which we now know like attracted thousands of people, including celebrities. He ended up making a lot of money um, in, in, in the process. And so as someone who looks to culture to understand, you know, the longings, the needs of our world and how the church can intersect them, what are your big takeaways as you consider kind of the birth and rise of Scientology? Well, it promises a form of therapy. Um, while it holds everything related to our current mental health uh, system, psychology and psychiatry in utter disdain, it's because it wants to take its place. Uh, Scientology promises to give you the skills that you need to get rid of all of your problems and all of your personal inhibitions that hold you back from reaching your full potential. The takeaway is that people are desperate for life change and ideally the kind of life change that comes without real cost, you know, something that is done to you, uh, imputed, you know, or so, we, we live in a therapeutic world where uh, people are looking for a therapeutic religion. And, but there's a limit to how much Christianity should try and embrace a therapeutic approach to faith. Uh, in fact, many would say that the Christian faith is the opposite of therapy or a therapeutic approach. People don't need therapy. They need salvation. They don't need tips and techniques. They need forgiveness. They don't need hypnosis. They need a life-changing relationship with the living God. And while all of that is true, I do think there is a place for the church to make it clear how the Christian faith does apply to um, issues that people are turning to psychology and psychiatry for. Mental health issues are real. Loneliness and depression are real. Uh, fears and anxieties, insecurities, they are all real. We all have felt needs. Uh, and the Christian faith is certainly relevant to that, and we should make that relevance clear. But we shouldn't reduce the Christian faith to just another therapy for the sake of getting warm bodies. Okay. I think that based on what you said, again, I, I think we have a lot more questions in terms of your of, of what Scientology is actually about and what Scientologists believe. So are there are there basic tenets of Scientology and is there like a sacred book that they get those tenets from? Ready to buckle your seatbelt? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this may take a few minutes because they, they have a a complex set of beliefs and ideologies and, and background. And so let me see if I can give it to you in a, in a succinct way. Um, as mentioned, in essence, it's a form of therapy based on a new religious movement, originally called Dianetics, uh, named after the book, which is now the sacred text, really, of the movement. Scientology maintains that the human mind is capable of resolving any and all problems through humans becoming their own saviors and freeing their true inner spiritual being, or Thetan, which is what they would call it. Um, and here's how it works. Scientologists contend that the human mind is divided into two parts. You have the conscious and the subconscious. It's essentially the parts of your brain that functions analytically 
and the part that is subconscious and functions in a reactionary mode. The analytical part of your mind is what perceives, remembers, reasons, uh, solves problems. The subconscious reactive part of your mind receives and stores harmful experiences called engrams. Uh, although people are not aware of it, these engrams damage your uh, uh, physical and emotional health. Uh, they are the heart of what ails us as human beings. Because this part of our mind, holding these engrams uh, cut in and take over uh, whenever we go through times when we're not fully conscious, such as times of grief or shock or pain or illness. Some of these engrams can attach themselves to us when we are in our mother's womb based on what is going on in her life. They can come to us from previous lives. Scientologists firmly believe in reincarnation. The aim of Scientology, and specifically what it calls its drills and studies, is to remove all engrams from their clients. A person who has been completely cleared of them is called a clear. Uh, those on the front end of the process are termed pre-clear. Once clear, you become an operating thetan. And you can wear Scientology's OT, or Operating Thetan, bracelet, a sign that you've reached total spiritual independence and serenity. And that is what salvation is for Scientology, to be free of your engrams, which then allows you to go on and explore other worlds and ultimately reach your full potential as a god. Now, uh, the way you clear away the engrams is to meet with someone called an auditor. Uh, who takes you through a series of, of counseling sessions using a battery-powered electropsychometer or e-meter. Uh, here's what happens. You take the e-meter in your hands, which is basically two small cylinders, and the idea is that when the auditor touches on something emotionally sensitive, your body temperature and pulse will go up, and um, kind of like a lie detector test. Mm, okay. But in this case, it indicates the presence of an engram which can be eliminated through further counseling or drills. And the goal is essentially to clear your memory bin of all engrams. And that can take a lot of counseling and a lot of courses and a lot of drills and a lot more of the e-meter, all of which you're charged for. Mm -hmm. It costs money, a lot of money. To become fully clear can cost tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes Some people have spent a million, a million or more. And then once you get clear, um, you find out that there's then a whole series of higher levels you can pursue, which is why early on Scientology was not deemed a religion at all, but seen by many as a money-making scheme, which preyed on the emotionally vulnerable, weak, and the needy. But in 1993, the IRS did give them tax-exempt status as a religion, and now there are thousands of churches in the United States and groups in over 150 or so more countries. Services are held weekly but there are no references to God. There's no prayer. There are rites that are similar to baptism and marriage and for funerals. There are also their own celebration days, but built around Scientology figures, such as, for example, L. Ron Hubbard's birthday on March 13th and the founding of Sea Org on August 12th are holidays, marked sacred days. Those who have left Scientology claim that Scientology teaches an extensive backstory to all of this, one that is only revealed to those who have attained the highest levels within the organization. So you're not told this till much later, but it purportedly goes something like this. 75 million years ago, there was an evil leader named Xenu who decided to eliminate all of the excess population from a galactic confederacy 
consisting of 26 stars and 76 planets. With the help of psychiatrists, he tricked billions of people into submission and exported them to the planet Tijiak, or Earth, which uh, would seem to explain why they are so violently opposed to psychiatry. The paralyzed victims were stacked around active volcanoes in which hydrogen bombs were placed. Uh, according to the story, the bombs were detonated and the disembodied souls, or thetans, were captured and brainwashed into believing in the existence of a god and the devil. Uh, Hubbard blamed the evil Zenu for planting the idea of Christianity and the image of the crucifixion into the minds of these hapless thetans. This process also deprived the thetans of their own sense of identity, resulting in their clinging to the few physical bodies that remained after the explosions. As a result, those who have not benefited from Scientology's auditing process uh, are possessed by a collection of dysfunctional thetans trying to control their every thought and every action. But once cleared by Hubbard's auditing, all the confusion disappears. Now, if that sounds like more like science fiction than theology, well, you ought to listen in on some of the claims of Scientologists themselves. There's one article I read where a preclear is cited uh, who, after an audit, supposedly discovered through that audit that he had inhabited the body of a doll on the planet Mars some 470 million years ago. Martians seized the doll and took it to a temple where it was zapped by a bishop's gun while the congregation chanted, God is love. He was then put into an ice cube, placed aboard a flying saucer, and dropped off at planet ZX-432, where it was given a robot body and then put to work unloading flying saucers. But then he zapped another robot and was shipped off in a flying saucer, which exploded, causing him to fall into space. I, like, I don't really even know how to respond to that. I feel bad that like my initial response is like just laughter, because I feel like this is just so... Gosh, like, yeah, like, it, it sounds like something straight out of a science fiction novel, but like a bizarre science fiction novel. And yet, and yet it, this is very serious. And yet, as you mentioned, like, people, there is a church of Scientology. People have subscribed to this. People have invested so much into this. Entire communities are formed in this. So, I mean, I think because of that, like, we have to take it seriously and kind of lean in and, and understand it a little bit more. And and I think one of the elements that you just mentioned is so crucial for us to understand, and that is that, you know, kind of this hierarchy um, implanted within Scientology in which more information comes, the higher or deeper in you are and the more invested that you're in. And there's certainly a strategy there. But in all, because in all fairness, I think you could say, you could point to the Bible and say, well, you know, there is this idea of progressive revelation throughout scripture in which if you read the Bible, God seems to be revealing more and more aspects of himself kind of as history unfolds. He doesn't tell us everything right from the beginning. Instead, we learn a little bit more about him um, as history unfolds. And yeah, but I think that is, I think that's such a dangerous parallel to draw because those are very different. Can you explain a little bit as to why what Scientology claims is different from that idea of like progressive revelation in scripture. Yeah, they're just two totally different things. I mean, progressive revelation is just the story continually unfolding as it leads to Christ and, and just uh, more, more or less the telling of redemptive histories that builds toward that climax as opposed to this massive secretive backstory you're given later on 
that uh, undermines much of what they say on the front end, because on the very, very front end, they would they don't want to be seen as, you know, anti-Christianity. And of course, the backstory is Christianity is one of the great evils. Um, can you help us understand a little bit of the, the what role celebrities play in Scientology? Like, why are there so many? Why does it seem to be such a draw for celebrities? Or is that just a part of the recruitment strategy? Yeah. Scientology is known for its celebrities. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of its claim to fame. Uh, most famously, Tom Cruise, who has been one of the world's biggest movie stars. Some would say he is the biggest movie star on the planet right now. Uh, the recent success of Maverick, you know, the sequel to Top Gun, did not hurt that status. It was a monster success at the box office. Many don't know that Cruz is a former Christian. He was a former Franciscan seminary student, actually. Uh, but he renounced his Christian beliefs in 1990 and embraced the Church of Scientology, claiming that the church had somehow, there was stuff had, had cured him of the dyslexia that had plagued him throughout his life. Uh, other celebrity Scientologists include John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, uh, Beck, Lisa Marie Presley, um, Jenna Elfman, if you like Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss is, is a Scientologist. From the earliest days, Hubbard actively recruited celebrities. This was his strategy. He wanted to recruit celebrities to Scientology because he felt that was the way that it would be legitimated and also become popular. And he did it largely by just catering to their every whim, just lavishing them with, with attention. And, and, and so it was a very targeted strategy. Now, a lot of what is appearing in the news lately, particularly from um, people who have left Scientology, is that kind of a description of Scientology that reveals a religion deeply rooted in intimidation and fear tactics and mismanagement of funds, emotional, physical abuse, really dangerous implications for anybody who leaves the faith or talks poorly of it. How much of that do you think is accurate? Well, from everything that has come out of late, I mean, it seems to be very accurate. Uh, multiple people have, you know, testified to this being their experience. Accusations of reform camps for members who get out of line, rumors of members being held against their will, reported harassment for anyone who attempts to criticize them as an organization or label them as a cult. And it's made them one of the most feared uh, religious organizations of our day, even by mainstream media. I mean, there was a season where, and I think they're still there, people are just scared to even talk about Scientology. Uh, this flows from a policy that uh, was called fair game, where someone can be deprived of property or injured by any means, including being tricked, sued, lied to, destroyed. Um, though the church says it no longer practices this policy, both the US federal and Canadian courts have um, found top Scientology officials and the church in the past guilty of charges such as uh, burglarizing and wiretapping and conspiracy against government agencies and such. Oh, interesting. Um, this, okay. I, I just feel like there are so many points throughout this podcast where my jaw is just dropping, trying to understand um, all that Scientology um, entails. But uh, I, I want to end on this question, which is essentially kind of taking a step back and thinking about how well, it certainly is informative to look at other religious faiths and learn more about the specifics of what they believe and, and why. I also think it's probably more beneficial to ask bigger questions about the human experience as revealed through faith. And specifically, I'm thinking about how we can fall you know, prey to temptation or corruption, no matter what religious faith we adhere to. And so as a church leader, what about your study of Scientology gives you 
city either a greater appreciation for the church and your faith, and then also what serves to you as a warning? Well, the truth is that Scientology and Christianity could not be further apart. Um, when it comes to God, uh, Scientologists believe that God can be whoever you want him to be. Uh, in his book, History of Man, uh, Hubbard writes that the Christ legend is an implant in pre-clears from a million years ago, meaning an engram that needs to be removed. Uh, Jesus himself, they say, was just a shade above clear, but not a true Satan. The crucifixion was a legend that was implanted in our psyche so that we could, we could be controlled by alien overlords. Uh, when it comes to sin, there really isn't such a thing. The idea of goodness and badness are more a matter of opinion. In terms of salvation, we save ourselves. And in the end, if we do, we become gods. But this comes through the practices and techniques of Scientology alone. In other words, you, you couldn't get farther from the message of the Christian faith. Uh, Time Magazine did a cover story several years ago on Scientology uh, that, and they went further. They called it a cult of greed, a ruthless global scam uh, that survives by intimidating members and critics in a mafia-like manner. Uh, the Church of Scientology sued Time for libel, but it was dismissed and allowed the story to stand. So that's Scientology, a religion that when you dig into it is, is not quite as appealing as the celebrities who have embraced it. But more than that, in the end, it's, it's empty. People are attracted to it because of the success of the celebrities who embrace it, maybe thinking it will bring them success too, kind of like refracted light. It'll shine on me. They're looking for ways to fix their life, to find happiness. Uh, there was an interview I read, again, many years ago. It was, uh, it was titled From Clear to Christ. And uh, it was about a guy named Brian Haney, um, who tells how he labored to give his life fulfillment. And he was a 37-year-old entrepreneur, uh, had been through two marriages, built a $100 million corporation, and attained that coveted state of being declared clear by Scientologists. But in the interview, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, they tell you that you've made it, they tell you that you're in, and you just keep walking around thinking, so shouldn't I feel different? Interesting. Um, so he and his wife actually left the Church of, of Scientology, and though when they did, they faced great resistance to the point to where they even had to contact local police because they had concerns about their physical safety. Eventually, they found their way to a Christian church and soon realized that they needed to give their life to Christ. At first, he said, you know, something like, yeah, I was so mad. You know, I, was, I just felt like I was so ripped off. You know, I spent, he spent nearly a million dollars on tools and techniques. Uh, but then he said, as I as I grew in my walk with God, I realized I just felt sorry for the people still trapped in that, that mindset. And now instead of fighting them, he says he just wants to weep for them. Uh, because what they want can be found. It's just not in Scientology. It's in Christ. Uh, Jesus said that we don't need to be purged of our engrams, but forgiven of our sins. We don't need an auditor. We need a savior. Uh, it's not something to pay for through therapy, but to receive as a free gift of grace from the loving hand of God. Um, and so I, 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 I go back and think of those words in Galatians where uh, the Bible said, it says, and, and, and let me just read, read those words, where Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who in his love and mercy called you to share the eternal life he gives through Christ. You are already following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. Uh, you are being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. What a, that is a great verse to end on. I just feel like so much of what you've talked about 
you know, I think it is encouraging in that, as you said, like there are so many things in our world that, you know, claim to be good news. And yet when we do a little bit of digging, and that's what you've helped us to do with this podcast episode is just even doing a little bit of digging to realize that it's all counterfeit. And yet, you know, within Christianity, we have a God who's not trying to hide anything from us, but just wants so much for us. And that is such a beautiful yeah, way of that verse is such a beautiful way of kind of encapsulating that. So thank you. And thank you for, for taking this time to, um, to answer these questions about Scientology. To, I, I think it's just been, I think it's going to be really helpful for everybody who's listening to just learn a little bit more about what Scientology is about and how it is so very different from what Christ offers us. Um, yeah. So thank you. Um, again, hopefully this was beneficial to you who are listening and we hope you'll join us again next week for another great um, conversation. Thanks.